0: Welcome to Cellcast, a monthly podcast where we get one of our colleagues in the studio to talk about his or her work and hobbies. We will also touch upon questions of more philosophical character. The idea with the podcast is to get the chance to get to know your colleague from CFB. Each interviewee will pass the baton on to another interviewee and ask him or her a question. Your host today is communications officer Anna's Österby-Münster. My guest today is from Denmark and knows a bit or two about plants, and he didn't work with yeast cell factories before joining the center as a co-PI in 2013. But how did his fascination for plants start? Which events along the way shaped what he is currently working on? And how can a plant called Raoulia serpentina be used to make anti-cancer drugs in yeast? And if you haven't guessed it yet, my guest today is Michael Krojensen. Welcome, Michael. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me on us. I scrolled through your uh, LinkedIn profile uh, when I was preparing for uh, for this interview, and I can see that you defended your uh, PhD uh, thesis from University of uh, of Copenhagen. And uh, it highlighted, like, a nuclear localized uh, NHC uh, transcription factor to positively uh, regulate basal defense in plants upon uh, pathogen infection. That was, like, the whole uh, story of the, <laughs> yeah. the PhD studies. But uh, basically, my question would be, can you try and take us uh, down memory lane and explain how you went from your PhD studies to starting at the CFB in 2000? Uh, 13, where you focus mostly on uh, synthetic biology tools for yeast? Sure,
1: I'll be happy to, Anas. Um Yeah, and I think it's, it's, it's one of those uh, situations where um, well, driven by a lot of uh, motivation for applying different types of new technologies, uh, my research route uh, basically took me from my master studies focusing on protein biology and protein chemistry into a um, um, a research group that 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 had a much more functional um, uh, mindset in terms of um, of how to understand um, how different organisms they interact, and uh, as I had come off of a group that worked a lot on structural uh, biology and protein chemistry related to regulators uh, involved or deducely involved in, uh, in uh, environmental stresses, uh, how these stresses are perceived in plants, I was hired into this uh, newly EU-funded uh, research program to try and elucidate some of the uh, transcriptional networks that are underlying how plants respond to pathogen attack. And uh, from there, um, I basically, during my PhD, got to work a lot with large-scale transcriptomics. Uh, well at that stage, it was actually microarray. Uh, but still, say, uh, transcriptome profiling. Um, that then led on to how protein and DNA interact in terms of tuning transcriptional, regula- uh, transcriptional networks. Um, and along that trajectory during my PhD, I got really motivated of uh, trying to understand how a given environmental signal uh, is uh, perceived and um, signaled within a sessile organism like a plant. Plants are really good f- for these types of analysis because they are exactly sessile. You would have a temporal resolution, you can understand, uh, because there will be no cells that actually can escape the organism. And that makes them quite interesting from... A both sort of fundamental point of view, but also from an application point of view. Uh, You can use different types of uh, sort of um, real-time monitoring um, of transcriptomes, proteomes, protein-DNA interactions upon certain types of environmental stresses and then get an understanding about how is that signal perceived and what does it elicit in terms of a response. Is that a... um, Resistance mechanisms toward a pathogen, or is it uh, closure of certain transpiratory tracts for helping the plant sustain drought? Or yeah, many different types of uh, responses can be elicited, and um, that sort of uh, through that trajectory, I made use of transcriptome analysis, uh, sequencing chromatin, IP, and learned a lot about how to handle bigger data sets for understanding how protein and protein interacts, how protein and DNA interacts. And ultimately, that led me on to my independent postdoc studies, which focused uh, much more on uh, uh, elucidating signaling cascades for both pathogen infections, but also how uh, mammalian cells uh, perceive certain... um, um uh diseases from an from a signaling point of view and you you
0: have a background uh, as i mentioned from a University of Copenhagen you've also been at Max Planck and yeah. you also have been um, at uh, Stanford for a short period uh, of time mm-hmm. Can you try and explain how you then uh, ended up uh, here here at the center, and yeah. how you really went from like transcriptome uh, analysis into working with uh, with yeast cell factories? How yeah. how did that develop that contact with the with the center?
1: So so you're right in terms of my my postdocs were collaborations between University of Copenhagen and um, um, and um the Max Planck Institute in Cologne. Um, I did my my first postdoc in that collaboration. The second uh, independently funded postdoc was a collaboration between University of Copenhagen and Stanford University. And um, through these collaborations, um, I got exposed to (laughs) well, I <laughs> um, I got exposed to, to to research environments that had um, um, that studies mechanisms in both plants and mammalian cells that I did not not know a lot about from a sort of um, functional point of view or how these cells were actually responding to these different. Uh, Uh, environmental or uh, genetic cues that the the Max Planck people and also the Stanford group were studying. But they allowed me to learn a lot about the technologies they used to try and address address, uh, some of these uh, outstanding questions they had in terms of developmental biology or um, how cells signal between um, each other in a sessile organism like plants. And... A little bit serendipitously, uh, you could say, at Stanford, I got to work uh, on biosensors. Um, There's a certain type of biosensor that basically can monitor inside a cell what is going on in a sort of a a temporal resolution. So you can study over time how cells, they pick up a signal and how they use that information to to, to start the expression of certain genes and potentially also have the cells uh, die or elicit a response that help them defend themselves. And that whole concept about um, using biosensors as real-time monitoring agents, but potentially also as therapeutics, um, got me really excited. So returning from the US, I immediately sort of thought, okay, I need to find uh, someone that can sort of uh Bounce back at me on on some of my my visions, and um, luckily there was a job post from uh, from Jay Kiesling and I applied and uh, and got called in for for the interview, and uh, from there it, uh, we had a um, a really nice sort of uh, leveling of expectations, but also shared interests in terms of what was needed in terms of engineering yeasts, and at that stage yeast had primarily for me been a biotech workhorse in the sense that I had used it for large-scale protein-protein interaction studies. I had used it for protein-DNA interaction studies. I had used it for some of my biosensing studies. Uh, Not as a cell factory, but more as a means to try and understand what types of uh, uh, molecular uh, mechanistics are underlying uh, cellular responses. So, the aspect of Developing it into something much more applicable uh, was really motivating for me, and of course uh, also working with Jay. And today you are a co-PI of mm-hmm. the group called
0: Synthetic Biology F- Tools for Yeast mm-hmm. uh, here at the Center, mm-hmm. and you have the collaboration with uh, with Jay at the JBI. Mm-hmm. Can you try and just explain a little bit what you are what you are doing in your in your group?
1: Yeah. So so the main aim of our um, of our research group for the first five years have been to develop um, synthetic biology tools uh, that allow for uh, much faster genome engineering of yeast cells, uh, also allow for much faster um, testing of how yeast cells perform um, in terms of bio-based production for bulk chemicals and fine chemicals. And also our group focus a lot on using um synthetic DNA elements or develop, uh, design, and apply synthetic DNA elements for rational engineering of cell factories so that we more predictively can um, engineer cells with a given performance. Um, and some of these tools are applicable beyond yeast as a chassis. That could also be relevant for other eukaryotes, including some of the Chinese hamster over your cell um, projects that are running here at the center. And we already have established collaborations on that. And ultimately, with the uh, with the impact of these um, tools for speeding up the bandwidth or basically increasing the bandwidth and speeding up the throughput of the design, build, test cycle, we expect that our tools can facilitate a faster learning in terms of um, uh, more rational, predictive uh, algorithms for cell uh, factor engineering. So, yeah. It sounds really,
0: it sounds really, really interesting, and I know that uh, in the last months of uh, of 18, uh, you actually received uh, a grant from uh, the European Union's uh, Horizon 2020 program, mm-hmm. and it takes a lot of uh, of your time also uh, mm-hmm. at the moment. Yeah, the project is called uh, Miami, mm-hmm. and um, actually, again, it has something to do with uh, with plants. Can you try to explain a little bit what the project is about and how this whole idea to the project started?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so I'd be happy to... Uh, yeah, we were extremely happy to to receive the, the Horizon 2020 grant in the end of uh, 2018. And basically the story uh, sort of leading up towards that grant application um, um, started um, around uh, late 2014. Back then we had a a motivation um, uh, to validate and basically pressure test the type of tools that we develop in our group. And one way to do so was to take some of the most advanced chemistry in the world, some of the secondary metabolites found in plants um, that usually consist of extremely long uh, biosynthetic pathway route, uh, very complex chemistry, Uh, very broad uh, 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 reactive um, uh, classes of of, uh, chemical groups, Uh, compartmentalization uh, in order not to uh, uh, toxify the host cells, for instance plants, but also indeed in, in terms of microbial cell factories. So basically we wanted to say, okay, At that stage, about that time, uh, there was a group uh, at Stanford who published uh, the production of opiates, say pain relievers or painkillers in, uh, say, broad classes of painkillers in yeast. And that was sort of a real sort of uh, of state-of-the-art demonstration about a 20-plus gene pathway being fully reconstituted in yeast for production of, okay, uh, uh, very minute amounts of of opiates. But still, a proof of principle that you can actually take and functionalize Many, many genes in yeast and actually make them make a product come out of it. So, we focused on another major s- uh, class of, of, of chemicals uh, known as the alkaloids uh, or monoterpenoid indole alkaloids uh, MIAs, and uh, they're basically constituted of uh, anywhere between uh, 10 to 30 30 plus genes uh, for different types of subfamilies of these alkaloids, with by and large effects related to, to, uh, to uh, cancer treatment. Um, but many, many, many other bioactivities are being tested and are yet to be tested. But cancer was the sort of the primary target for us back then. So one thing was sort of tr- stress testing uh, our current methodologies in the group, say within cell factor engineering, the CRISPR-Cas9 systems that we developed, the biosensors, the, the, the DNA parts that we're using uh, to really plug them into uh, a, f- a, f- um, a really big project and then see how far we could take that. The second part of the motivation for, for Miami was uh, the establishment of a collaboration with uh, a world-leading pathway discovery team in, uh, in, in the U.K., and those two sort of uh, sides of it uh, motivated uh, the the initial drafting of the grant application um, in the end of uh, 2017.
0: And for people who have not been involved uh, in this kind of uh, of projects, um, can you try and explain, like from late 14, where you actually already have the idea that maybe this could potentially Become a great project. What happens in the period from late 14 to uh, when you receive the grant in uh, in yeah. 18?
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, that's uh, th- that's a very very good question, and I and I think uh, what I can s- uh, what I can say is that it's 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 good to be a team in a project like this. Uh, when you start up a project that has so many solutions, you can say, and and very little means to analyze what is going on, it becomes sort of a black box. You need to be um, extremely inventive in terms of what you want to try. You also need to balance the efforts. What does it take in terms of time to develop uh, the, the assays that you will use to study? How can you engineer yeast to produce these uh, interesting compounds? Um, but you also need a certain degree of brute force. Uh, I mean, you need to, s- to establish a platform for how can you analyze what is going on in the cell. And uh, through the first three years, uh, we worked very, very closely with the analytical team here at CFB to establish methodologies to actually be able to quantify some of the intermediates of these long pathways. And that was a a very, um, very tough challenge, um, both because standards are not necessarily available to actually differentiate... uh, similar chemicals and actually be able to resolve them from uh, from an analyti- analytical point of view. But uh, but we have very good contacts in terms of sourcing uh, standards on the Alkalide project, specifically through our collaborations in the UK to get Hannah uh, and her team to help us develop methodologies. And that has been uh, ac- absolutely uh, indispensable for the progress of this progr- uh, project because ultimately what we could do in... Mid seventeen was to establish um, a strong platform strain for and uh, for a precursor for thousands of different alkaloids, and that was sort of the, the starting point uh, to team up with a larger consortium uh, that were good at uh, 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 discovering biosynthetic pathways for alkaloids, so that we could go from our platform strain to the more um, uh, to the to the commercial or even yet-to-be-commercial or new drug leads and products of uh, monoterpenoid indoor alkaloids. And and
0: speaking about uh, alkaloids, um, I know that you focus uh, a lot on the plant called uh, Ravolfia serpentina mm-hmm. or commonly named like Indian snake root. Yeah. Can can you try to explain uh, what is the current problem right now? If you don't like make these uh, so-called biosynthetic uh, pathways, like which problems are you solving with the, with this project?
1: That's a that's a very good question. So so the motivation behind the whole Miami consortium is. Um, there are two current limitations in terms of, of of drug discovery based on natural products. One is that. Um, extracting natural products from their native resources say plants and seeds um, is uh, making use of um, oftentimes making use of harsh chemistry, a uh, lot of solvents uh, it has um, it conflicts with, um, with, um, with biodiversity um, it, uh, it the yields are extremely low and oftentimes impure. Secondly, synthetic chemistry, or for basically bottom-up refactoring of uh, natural product-type therapies, is very complex. Uh, It again um, has limitations in terms of uh, uh, stereo activity or stereocenters in in these uh, very um, uh, highly decorated alkaloids. So you would end up with uh, um, uh, stereoisomers, where maybe only fractions or very small fractions of them would actually be uh, potent uh, as therapies. So um, having sort of the p- the, p- the proof of principle in mind from this from the from the opiate studies, uh, which is um, another major class of natural products that are, are unable to be produced in yeast as a with yeast as a biocatalysis uh, chassis. Um, and having the proof that yeast can actually uh, withstand expression of many genes at once, it has a lot of membrane capacity to also harbor many of the proteins that are associated with membranes, and it has compartments to detoxify certain intermediates. We think that yeast is a a good platform for for starting to make uh, alkaloids at a scalable manner, where we robustly uh, engineer yeast, um to 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 scale the production of of some of these compounds we're interested in it
0: will be really uh, interesting to follow the development of uh, of the miami project indeed um, we have uh, we have talked about like your background and mm-hmm. also now the Miami project mm-hmm. and what your group is uh, is doing here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was able to see that uh, that I could find like one at least one uh, like a common thing that goes through the whole and that's the plant. Mm. <laughs> the plant like is there all the time. What like how did this fascination for plants start and what is so interesting working with uh, with plants? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so I think we touched upon it in the beginning of the interview. That I, I I'd probably say that I, th- the the entry to plants was sort of a little bit of by chance, but but having witnessed that the, the the sessile nature of plants, how that allows for for really really uh, um, um, robust imaging of how uh, living organisms respond to environmental cues without being able to escape, that was a very nice starting point for me, from a, from. A technology point of view how do you use how do you learn to use technologies to answer fundamental questions so that was the first part uh, uh, that they are sessile uh, (laughs) and and therefore very coordinated in their Mm. responses (laughs) for now um, I regard them as our our living pharmacies uh, basically uh, pharmacopias with thousands and thousands of um, interesting uh, secondary metabolites that are Yet to be scaled within uh, production, so that we can actually do uh, bioactivity testing of them, and learn which are the most potent, potent ones to combat, combat some of the some of the biggest diseases around the world, and how can we try and enable sustainable production of them at scales that allow for even the developing world to be at least treated or. Potentially even cured from some of the uh, the the yeah the biggest diseases around the world, whether that is uh, bipolar uh, diseases or whether it's cancer.
0: And do you have a favorite, Michael? Do you have a favorite favorite plant?
1: plant? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd probably go along the um, uh, Apocynaceae uh, plant family that are yeah. hosting uh, many of the thousands alkaloids that we're working with uh, at the moment. Not only are they beautiful to look at, but of course uh, in terms of um, of potential uh, new therapies for human illnesses they are also uh, an absolute uh, uh, treasure trove
0: i'm uh, a little bit inspired by this whole uh, talk about uh, about the the plants so one more a uh, little bit more personal uh, personal question but uh but these plants, uh do you have a special relationship to them if you understand? Like uh do you see them as something more than just a plant when uh when you uh observe them?
1: <laughs> 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 no. Um I d- <laughs> So uh, at my home we're not known to take good care of plants. <laughs> I mean we I, I think we w- we get plants that at uh when we host uh, visitors or, or, or parties, but they don't last long in our family. <laughs> I uh, so I'm I'm not one of those persons with with green fingers, you could say. But uh, I probably look at them much more as a, as a from a chemical point of view than I do from a uh, visual, um, uh, aesthetical uh, point of view. Yeah, I don't know if that addresses your question, it de- but it's it definitely it's definitely does. much more about it the content does. than it is about the appearance. Yes.
0: So it's more like a pharmacy for you. Yeah, yeah. definitely. That sounds good, um, Michael. Uh, we have this idea here in the podcast that um, you should pass the baton on to the to the next interviewee mm-hmm. and ask a question. Mm-hmm. So um, I would ask you, like, uh, who would you like to uh, to pass the baton on to, and why?
1: Yeah, I would. Uh, I when I thought about it, uh, this interview and 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 the suggestion for 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 who to pass it on, I actually think that. Uh, uh, our new group leader Dieter Vilner, Vilner, uh, will be uh, a very good candidate because uh, we have actually crossed our um, our careers uh, earlier on, uh, studying the NAC transcription factors, as you mentioned in the beginning, from a structural point of view, and where I see us transcended into all the, the structural uh, biology, I'm more transcended into towards the well, you could say. The, 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 f- the, the mechanistics of, of, of using these uh, transcriptional networks uh, to, to, to make new products. And I would uh, think it could be a really nice complementary story to, to the route that I have taken, um, especially how she ended up uh, going through from her years in the U.S. onto the studies of glycosyl and how she sees that uh, impact uh, the future of her career, but maybe also society.
0: We will look forward to a talk with Didip, but for now, I would just say uh, thank you very much for uh, taking time, Michael. It was uh, was very interesting, and uh, thank you very much.
1: Thank you for having me.